When your absolutes are absolutely absolute, you will be at peace. Your questions have all been satisfied, even when not always answered. The day over 50 years ago that I gave my heart to Christ was the most magnificent day of my life. On that day, I became a son of God. I became born again, just like Jesus said. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In a very definable moment, I was dramatically changed. In that moment, uh, the tenor and the substance of all my questions changed. At this point, I knew with certainty that God's word was true and righteous altogether, every jot and every tittle. At this place, the nature of your questions change. The questions now are, how do I know God more perfectly? Or how do I serve him and please him? In the miracle moment of born again, the discussion leaves natural analytics behind and becomes totally supernatural. At born again, it is no longer an issue of scholastically and pragmatically proving that the God of the Bible is academically certified. No, because we have a certification, even rock-solid proof, that sits high above the world's wisest, even in heavenly places. We have Holy Ghost proof. Romans eight fourteen through 26. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That supernatural proof is what the born-again own, and that is serious big business. It's true that God said, man said, will satisfy your analytic mind, but the proof the redeemed have transcends it all, and I mean all. The redeemed are born again, just like Jesus said. Have you been born again, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God? At born again, everything will change for you. Things you loved, the various lusts of the flesh, you will begin to hate. Things you hated, things of God, such as reading the Bible, going to church, singing praise to God and witnessing for Christ, you will begin to love. This miracle begins at the place called born again, just like Jesus said. In just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt. Follow the very brief instructions from your heart, and all your sins and your shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken, and I mean all of them. Today, you will participate in the greatest miracle man can know. Here comes the simple prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-nine through 35, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. 
Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. God said, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. God said, Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Man said, A little moderation, that's my motto, a little bit of booze, a little bit of dope, a little bit of fornication. Moderation is the key. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said feature 1061 that will once again endorse the supernatural veracity of God's majority text, Holy Bible. All of these powerful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the redeemed and as a platform from which to reach the lost. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. May your life and your house be filled with light and truth. God Said, Man Said has published numerous features concerning Christians and alcohol. A list of them will be presented at the end of this article for your consideration. All of man's typical issues and arguments have been presented and in all of the features, the same conclusion has been reached. No alcohol. In this feature, we will lay down foundational information from several God Said, Man Said features, and then address today's latest findings out of Oxford. All of us must reap what we sow. This is a cardinal law of God. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We must be constantly reminded that every commandment and directive of God is the perfect and inerrant truth. Consequently, each has within it a blessing or a curse. If I obey God's perfect, inerrant word, I will reap the benefits of doing the right thing, the blessing. If I disobey God's perfect, inerrant word, I will reap the deadly results of doing the wrong thing, the curse. It can't be much simpler than that. Years ago, while working in the prison ministry, I met a man named Victor. Victor was an alcoholic and was incarcerated as a result of deeds spawned by his bondage. Victor had all the necessary tools to succeed in life, but in his approximate 60 years, success was absent. Poor Victor's life was wasted, and many other lives affected, family members, friends, Loved ones, employers, taxpayers, and more were directly damaged by his actions. I asked Victor when he became an alcoholic, and he said, My first drink. Moderation didn't work for Victor. Only Jesus Christ can remedy such situations. Alcohol's devastating effects are global in the death and damage, the heartache and sickness, the crime and despair— and the heavy financial burden are beyond calculation. Statistics from the National Institution on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism will give you a feel for the horrors of alcohol. 
In 2019 in the United States, 25.8% of individuals 18 and older reported that they engaged in binge drinking in the past month. Binge drinking is defined as having four or more drinks for a female and five or more drinks for a male in around two hours. We expect the global percentage to be much higher. In the United States, 14.5 million people 12 years of age and older have AUD, alcohol use disorder. AUD is defined as a chronic brain disorder marked by compulsive drinking, loss of control over alcohol use, and negative emotions when not drinking. We estimate the number globally to be in excess of 319 million. In the U.S., an estimated 95,000 people die from alcohol-related cases each year. That's about 3 million globally. In the U.S., this is the third leading cause of preventable death. Leading causes of alcohol-related deaths are alcohol-associated liver disease, heart disease, stroke, unspecified liver cirrhosis, upper aerodigenitive throat cancers, live cancer, a supraventricular cardiac dysrhythmia, AUD, breast cancer, and hypertension. About one out of four driving deaths in the U.S. are a result of alcohol-impaired driving. In 2010, alcohol misuse cost the United States $249 billion. Globally, 22 times 249, the cost is $5 trillion. $478 billion. 75% of that cost is attributed to binge drinking. You pay for this regardless of whether you drink or not. According to the World Health Organization, in 2014, alcohol was the leading factor for premature death and disability for people ages 15 to 49. In 2016, 134 million disability-adjusted life years was attributed to alcohol consumption worldwide. That's 134 million years of life lost to disability and disability caused by alcohol consumption. In 2018, the World Health Organization reported that alcohol contributed to over 200 diseases and injuries and related health conditions. Approximately 10.5% that 7. Point million of U.S. children ages 17 and younger live with a parent with alcohol use disorder. To quote from NAHS report on alcohol facts and statistics, you'll read this. Research has shown that people who misuse alcohol have a greater risk of liver disease, heart disease, depression, stroke, and stomach bleeding, as well as cancers of the oral cavity, esophagus, larynx, pharynx, liver, colon, and rectum. These individuals may also have problems managing conditions, conditions excuse me, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, pain, and sleep disorders. They may increase their likelihood of unsafe sexual behavior. Alcohol consumption is associated with increased risk of drowning and injuries from violence, falls, and motor vehicle crashes. Alcohol consumption is also associated with an increased risk of free, uh, female breast cancer or farginal cancer, esophageal cancer, especially in individuals who inherit a deficiency in an enzyme involved in alcohol metabolism and harmful medication interactions. Alcohol consumption has been linked to risk for FASD, fetal alcohol, alcohol spectrum disorders, and the offspring of women who consume alcohol during pregnancies, end of quote. 
Fetal alcohol syndrome is the number one cause of birth defects and renders children born with IQs 13 to 16 points lower than other children. It can be caused by as little as a mother consuming one drink during pregnancy. Moderation, right? Why is there even an argument in Christendom, or in carnaldom for that matter, regarding drinking alcoholic beverages? The following information is from the God Said, Man Said feature, Alcohol and Christians. In Proverbs 23.31 it reads, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. In other words, don't drink the wine after it has fermented. Also, the wine God commanded us not to drink had a very low alcoholic content because of the low levels of sugar in the grapes of the Middle East in comparison to today's alcoholic beverages. According to the history book, Archaeology and Bible History, actual wine and beer in ancient Palestine contain not more than 5 to 8 percent alcohol due to the limitation of natural sugar in the grapes uh, and the malt which was used. And that low level is condemned biblically. Some of the confusion concerning the drinking of alcoholic beverages is that many erroneously think that the word wine in the Bible strictly refers to the fermented juice of the grape. A simple search of the Scriptures, however, reveals that unfermented grape juice is called wine as well as the fermented juice. This is shown in the following Scripture passages. Isaiah 65, 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. Micah chapter 6, 15. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil, and sweet wine, but shall not drink wine. Proverbs 3.10 So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Joel 2 verse 24 And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Please note that it is called wine as it comes forth from the wine press. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words which are both translated into English as the word wine. The first word, tirosh, occurs 38 times, and it means must, fresh, or new wine. The word must is defined as the expressed, unfermented juice of the grape. Again, from the textbook Archaeology and Bible History, the following excerpts deal with the two Hebrew words translated as wine. It begins by explaining the word tirosh. Examination of the use of this word shows that it does not refer to a fermented drink. Eleven times, it speaks of wine as a first fruit fresh from the harvest, usually in the phrase corn, wine, and oil, and obviously refers to grape juice. Seventeen times, it is used with grain and oil as Natural products of the field, again, clearly implying grape juice. In three places, tirosh is said to be filling the presses, obviously referring to freshly pressed juice. Joel 2.24, Hosea 9.2, and Proverbs 3.10. Isaiah 65.8 pictures tirosh as being still in the cluster of grapes, and Micah 6.15 is the clearest of all, mentioning tirosh as the material from which fermented wine is formed. Only in one place is there any association between tirosh and wickedness, 
Hosea chapter 4, verse 11, Whoredom and wine, yein, and new wine, tirosh, take away the heart. Even here in this particular context, there is no mention of actual drunkenness and no suggestion that tirosh in itself, in itself is intoxicating. It is clear then that tirosh is regularly used in the sense of grape juice, a beverage with no appreciable content of alcohol. Concerning the second Hebrew word, yein, it goes on to say, yein in the most common, is the most common word for wine in the Old Testament, occurring 135 times, and clearly means fermented wine. At least 30 times, yein is definitely associated with drunkenness, and its use is more or less condemned. It was prohibited to the Nazarites, Numbers chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel refused the king's yein, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. About half of the passages mentioning yein in the Old Testament are clearly denunciatory. In some places, it is mentioned merely as a natural product without praise or blame, just as polygamy is referred to at times without specified condemnation being given at that reference. An examination of passages supposed to support the use of yein shows that they really do not give such support. The use of yein is making the drink offering, does not support partaking of wine, for this offering was not drunk, end of quote. Please note, uh, this drink offering was never consumed, but was poured out before the Lord, just as all things detrimental to human health were commanded by God to not be consumed, i.e. the fat, the blood, the dung, the call above the liver. As in the Old Testament, the word wine in the New Testament can mean unfermented or fermented wine. When Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, it refers to fermented wine. Wine, then, can be fermented or unfermented. Now, concerning the marriage supper in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, there is one very obvious reason that certifies that Jesus, in fact, did not create fermented wine, and that reason is that the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless. Had he created fermented wine and contributed to the drunkenness of others, he would have been guilty of disobeying the many commandments forbidding it. Do you suppose Jesus would have created wine that if consumed by a pregnant woman attending that marriage supper could have harmed her unborn child with fetal alcohol syndrome? Do you suppose that our Lord Jesus would have given the people fermented wine, causing men to lust after their neighbor's wives, fist fights in the parking lot, and wreck their carriages on the way home? Would it be so hard to fathom that the miracle wine Jesus produced would be the finest wine that man has ever tasted, and that the creator of the universe, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, could accomplish this feat without the contamination of alcohol? Wouldn't you suppose that Christ's miracle wine would be free of fermenting bacteria caused by harmful UV rays from the sun? The answers are, of course and of course. In regard to the heavenly miracle wine, Jesus comments in Matthew 26, verse 29, just before his crucifixion. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Note, when I drink it new, not only inferring freshly pressed wine, but wine before the contamination caused by man's sin, before the UV rays that cause fermentation. A verse commonly cited to support alcoholic beverages is 1 Timothy 5.23, 
Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. First, the passage does not suggest that this wine is fermented or not. It should be noted that unfermented wine, grape juice, is sometimes prescribed by doctors for stomach disorders. Proponents of alcoholic consumption felt vindicated when a 1999 University of Wisconsin medical school study ascribed great health benefits to fermented wine. At least that's how much of the media reported it. The research revealed that in wine are found tannins and flavonoids flavonoids that diminish cholesterol and may fight blood clotting. What most media failed to report is that the unfermented wine, grape juice, has the very same health benefits, yet free of the devastations of alcohol. As with other juices, all wine that is not pasteurized will be in a process of fermentation. If, for instance, you purchase a gallon of unpasteurized apple cider without preservatives and leave it on the kitchen counter, the process of fermentation, the sugar of the apple juice being converted to alcohol and carbon dioxide gas, would begin. You can drink it as it progresses, and the very low levels of alcohol will have no serious effect until it reaches critical alcohol mass. So then the mention in Proverbs, long at the wine comes into play. While the alcohol content is at a very low level, in order for it to have a negative effect, one would have to spend a long time drinking it. But when the fermentation process is complete, one water glass full will knock you on your backside, and the terrible predictions of Proverbs 23 will come to pass. So much, then, for the moderate drinking of fully fermented alcoholic beverages. Those who promote the concept of moderation, citing verses such as 1 Timothy 3.8, which reads, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, need to read a few verses above that in verse 2, which reads, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach. This word sober is discussed in the following paragraph in Archaeology and Bible History. The New Testament attitude toward intoxicating drink is shown by the injunction for Christians to be nephaphlios, translated sober. This word is used only three times in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 11, and Titus 2 and 2. But it is used regularly in the classic authors, meaning free from all wine. This word shows strongly that the New Testament ideal is total abstinence, end quote. The dictionary defines sober as not given or addicted to the use of intoxicating beverages, abstinent, free from the influence of intoxicating beverages. Finally, from archaeology and Bible history. In summary, we are left with the biblical condemnation of alcoholic drink and a definite denunciation of drunkenness as sin. Nowhere is moderate drinking given approval. The existence of light fermented wine does not mean that God sanctions its use for beverage purposes. Furthermore, a different situation exists today with the use of modern strong alcoholic beverages. Solomon's observation of long ago is just as applicable today, if not more so. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Proverbs 23, 31, and 32, end of quote. The Christian's motto should simply be, 
We drink no wine that's past the line. And, of course, that includes all fermented or distilled alcoholic beverages, end of quotes. You'll find the following excerpts in the God Said, Man Said feature, Wine is a Mocker, Strong Drink is Raging. Now, the latest research is in, and it's not good news for consumers of alcoholic beverages. The following excerpts are from the report citing the research concerning alcohol consumption. Cancel Happy Hour, Alcohol Shrinks Brain was the title of the report. It reads, December 5, 2003, forget that Cabernet at dinner. At happy hour, just say no. For middle-aged people, drinking alcohol in moderate amounts actually causes the brain to slightly deteriorate, a new study shows. What's more, you get no protection from stroke, which runs contrary to previous studies that show moderate alcohol intake is associated with some protection against it. A new study published in this month's issue of Stroke Journal of the American Heart Association, also delves into this issue of drinking alcohol and brain shrinkage. Previous studies have linked heavy drinking with brain deterioration as well as stroke, but this is the first to show that even moderate drinking, 7 to 14 drinks a week, causes the same sort of brain atrophy, and it occurs as early as in middle age, so writes researcher Jing Zhang Ding, Ph.D. and epidemiologist with the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, end of quote. The following short paragraphs are from the fall 2008 issue of Be Well, a publication of the Cleveland Clinic. Since researchers found the link between red wine and reduced risk of heart disease, many women have been enjoying a glass a day. However, women should weigh the benefits and risks for themselves after the surprising finding that all types of alcohol, including wine, increase a woman's chances of developing breast cancer, end of quote. Concerning the marriage supper in Jesus, in the first article on this subject, we explained the miracle of turning water into wine performed at Cana by Jesus. We fully dispelled the notion that this wine could cause drunkenness. Here's more on this subject. John chapter 2, 9 and 10. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Concerning the words good wine in verse 10, ancient writers Pliny and Plutarch stated that good wines were those which would not intoxicate, having had their alcoholic content removed. Concerning good wine, Dr. S. Bacciotti of Andrews University, author of Wine in the Bible, said, Scriptural and moral consistency requires that the good wine produced by Christ was fresh, unfermented grape juice. This is supported by the very adjective used to describe it, namely kalos, which denotes that which is morally excellent instead of agathos, which means simply good, end quote. In the September 14, 2018 issue of the week on their Health and Science page, you'll find the following excerpts under the heading, How Much Alcohol is Safe? In a hotly disputed finding, a major global study has concluded that there is no safe level of alcohol consumption and that even the occasional drink can be harmful to your health. 
The Global Burden of Disease study examined data on drinking in 195 countries between 1990 and 2016, focusing on how consumption affected risk for 23 different alcohol-related issues. The researchers found that even as little as one drink a day over a year slightly increased the incidence of health problems, end of quotes. From the God Said Man Said feature, The Curse of Alcohol, the following article concerning alcohol by Arthur Agston, M.D., is from December 2008 issue of Prevention Magazine. They call me complaining of palpitations, one of the symptoms of what's known as holiday heart. That term describes the abnormal heart rhythms that can be triggered by even modest amounts of a seasonal staple, alcohol. If you haven't experienced them before, these arrhythmias, which feel like little flutters in your chest, can be scary. Fortunately, as most of my holiday heart patients find out, symptoms vanish as the alcohol leaves the body. But there is one type of arrhythmia called atrial fibrillation that is not harmless. It can be precipitated by an excessive amount of alcohol, four or more drinks a day for several days, and it requires medical attention. During AF, the two upper chambers of the heart quiver instead of beat in rhythm. The heart also beats inappropriately fast, and its rate can increase to a high level with minimal exertion. You'll also likely feel dizzy, short of breath, and fatigue. The greatest danger of AF is a blood clot which occurs when the problem is sustained and usually when there is underlying heart disease. This clot could migrate from the heart to the brain and cause a stroke, which is why if you have palpitations that don't stop, and particularly if you have some of the symptoms described above, you should call your doctor, who may suggest that you go to the ER for treatment, end of quote. The following short paragraphs are from the fall 2008 issue of Be Well, publication of Cleveland Clinic. The fact that drinking wine increases the chances of developing breast cancer is a modifiable and probably usually underestimated risk factor for women, says Holly Smetera, MD, a medical breast specialist in Cleveland Clinic Center for Specialized Women's Health. The study found that consuming one to two alcoholic beverages, one glass of wine equals five ounces each day, raises a woman's risk of breast cancer by 10%. The risk of breast cancer jumps to 30% when women have three or more drinks per day, end of quote. The latest research is in. The June 11, 2021 issue of the week presented the following on their health and science page under the title, No Safe level of drinking. You might think there's no harm in relaxing with a single glass of wine or a beer in the evening, but when it comes to brain health, a new study suggests that the only safe level of alcohol consumption is zero. Researchers from the University of Oxford looked at the brain scans of 25,000 people who had also self-reported their alcohol intake. The scientists found that drinking had a clear effect on gray matter, important regions of the brain where information gets processed. The more people drank, the less the volume of their gray matter, led author Anya Topolwala tells CNN.com. Brain volume reduces with age and more severely with dementia. Smaller brain volume also predicts worse performance on memory testing. Alcohol consumption accounted for up to a 
0.8% change in gray matter volume. That might seem like a low figure, but it is a greater contribution than other modifiable risk factor lifestyles, decisions that people can change, unlike the process of aging. The contribution of smoking or a high BMI, for example, was four times lower. And contrary to previous studies that indicated there is a benefit to drinking wine in moderation compared with beer or spirits, the study found that the type of drink made no difference to the damage done to the brain. End of quote. In the early 1900s, evangelical churches across America stood united in their opposition to all alcoholic beverages and applied major pressure on the U.S. Congress for the purpose of passing the 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States on July 16, 1919. Prior to Prohibition, the term Christian wedding meant that it was free of all alcohol and, of course, Christ-centered. This amendment outlawed the manufacturing, sales, and transportation of alcoholic beverages. This law was repealed in 1933. Bootlegging caused the law enforcement nightmare. But just in case you think prohibition was an utter failure, consider, the, uh, consider this following data found on an op-ed page from around 25 years ago. Note that some of this data reflects dated numbers. During the Prohibition era, 1919 to 1933, crime decreased 54%. The death rate due to liquor decreased 43%. 97 of the 98 Keeley Alcoholic Clinics closed for lack of patients. Insanity decreased 66%. All 60 Neal Cure Clinics closed for lack of patients afflicted with alcoholism. Now, during the post-prohibition era, drunkenness shortly increased 350%. Crime spiraled till it is now rampant. Some 50% of all traffic accidents are alcohol-related. There are 10 million alcoholics today. Of this number, 3.5 million are 14 to 17 years of age. Current numbers, of course, are sizably different and larger. From the repeal of prohibition until today, Huge numbers of evangelical churches have capitulated to the lust-driven social pressures, just as they have done in regard to permitting paganism, feminism, etc. in their churches. It is obvious why the Word of God declares that judgment must first begin at the house of God. The global field study is in. God's Word cannot be mocked without suffering the curse. Those looking for proof of the inerrancy of God's word need look no further than the refrigerator or to their neighbor next door. God's word is true and righteous altogether, a place to build a life that will last forever. For visitors looking for a complete list of alcohol-related features on God said man said, please click here. God said, Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, 
or is he that lieth upon the top of a mast? They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. God said, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. God said, Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Man said, A little moderation, that's my motto. A little bit of booze, a little bit of dope, a little bit of fornication. Moderation is the key. Now you have the record. 